You started that journey, but when you began that journey, you were 100% outside of Haiti. And when you traveled all that way, but you're still on the, the, the outside looking in, you're still 100% outside of the nation. You've improved a whole bunch, but you actually haven't taken the step to be in the nation. And that's, Jesus is talking a little bit in these terms about what it means to be in the kingdom, because what gets you into the kingdom is not 1,500 miles of your own effort. It's one step. It's a single step. And Jesus said, in order to understand what it means to follow me, you have to enter my kingdom, which doesn't... Which means you don't just improve and, and, and believe right things and do right things. It's literally to be transferred from one realm into another. Book of Colossians says this, that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Do you know how radical of a change that is? And the kingdom of God, as Jesus talks about it again and again, is, that, is this idea that that God's realm, where God rules and reigns, is now coming into the world. That heaven is literally coming down and healing this place and putting it back to the way that God envisioned it. He's, he's in the process, through His Son, of wiping away all brokenness, all hurt, all sin, all death. And so to be part of that kingdom means that when you trust Christ... You you tap into the power of that realm. That you get, in a moment's notice, essentially, the fullness of heaven coming down into your life. It's like God plants something in you that's going to sprout into an enormous tree. And the moment that you believe in Him, you get the seed of that tree. And it's here and now through Jesus. When you believe in Him, when you make Him your King, you get that change. But here's the other flip side of that. It's already, but at the same time, it's not yet. That even though the kingdom has come in us, it's, it's not come in its fullness everywhere. I mean, if you, you want uh, a reminder of that, we just celebrated a funeral yesterday. That death still has its reign. And so does a lot of brokenness in the world and a lot of injustice that's happening, not just in Haiti, but in other parts of the world, even in our own country. But when we become citizens of the new realm, then we become agents of that realm. In other words, we're like a foretaste of what heaven is like when it comes in its fullness. The minute you and I step over the border, the power of Jesus comes into us and it begins to change us from the inside and now we become representatives of the, of the future. We're like time travelers of a future age that's come into the present to tell people what's coming in the future and to show them what that realm looks like. That's our job. And these men had no idea they, they completely missed the boat. They, they, they thought that following Jesus was like going, was like transferring from one school to another. Or like changing your political party affiliation. And Jesus is going, you have no idea how radical of a change it means to follow me. Because I'm a king and I'm going to demand everything. 
Not just your politics, not just your education. I get it all. Because to be in the kingdom of God means that Jesus is now your king. And he calls the shots. Now, these three men represent, in a way, different ways of misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about. And that's why it's really enlightening for us. Because they, more often than not, we will be able to see ourselves in at least one, if not all three of these guys. And the, the misunderstanding that they have about the kingdom, the misbelief that they have about Jesus, typically is, is representative of the misbelief that's going on in our own hearts. And so it's, it's helpful actually to look at them. Now when you look at the first guy, doesn't he seem to be like the ideal candidate for a church? Like if someone walked through the door this morning and said, I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. No stipulations. No qualifications, no conditions. What are we doing? I'm in. Like, you'd be like, oh, here's where you sign up, sir. Like, <laughs> you know, we've got this going on and this going on. Please, please come and participate and, and be part of all of it. But Jesus says to him, after he says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus replies, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's an odd response to someone who seems sold out to Jesus. Now why does he respond this way? It's because Jesus is seeing past the words to his heart. He, he understands something about this man and he, he probably realizes that, that this man does not understand that the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is, yes, it's here, but at the same time, it's not yet. He's missing out on the not yet part. Because the man is enthusiastic, sure, but he, he's probably not ex- enthusiastic and excited about Jesus. He's excited about the kind of things that Jesus is going to bring him if he signs up. Because if this Jesus is a king and he's headed towards Jerusalem to take his throne... And I get in on the ground floor of this endeavor. Imagine the, how, how far I'll go. Imagine the heights that I will rise to. Imagine the things that will be available at my doorstep if I go with this new king. And that's why Jesus' response to him is, I have no place to lay my head. You think you're signing up for greatness? Here's what it, when you sign up for my kingdom, you're signing up to become like me. I'm the walking embodiment of what it means to be part of this kingdom. And what that means is that I'm, this kingdom is not yet. And so I'm in conflict with the kingdom of this world. In other words, does it look like I have the things that you're, that you seem to be running after? Does it seem like I've got the popularity and the health and the status and the wealth and the great house and the perfect life that you think that I can deliver for you? I'm not enjoying the fruits of those things myself. How in the world do you think I'm going to give them to you? It shows us that the kingdom of heaven doesn't consist of the things that we think that we're going to get by signing up with Jesus. Because his kingdom is not of this world. 
The fact is, you might not get any of them. If you, if you hitch your cart to Jesus thinking that He will in turn give you health all the days of your life, you're, you're fooling yourself. If you think that somehow practicing the, just, just kind of practicing all the biblical principles of financial management will result in you being a millionaire, you are a fool. If you think that by following Jesus, you're going to make friends and influence people absolutely everywhere that you go, you're crazy. Because Jesus didn't do any of those things. Uh, Several years ago, uh, there was someone who kind of joined up with Cultivate who really, really seemed enthusiastic about Jesus and about our mission and it was it is so funny because it was kind of like this scenario in a nutshell, but over time it became apparent that what this person was actually after, what they were most enthusiastic about, was not Jesus and not being part of God's family, but it was his own status within that family. It was to gain authority and to gain influence and to be respected and to convince others to 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 subscribe to his doctrinal beliefs. And you, you kind of, you can know that this is the case because when you put roadblocks up for this kind of person to to go after and to attain the things that they're really in the game for, they bolt. And that's what Jesus is saying. To to be a disciple is not to be someone who uses Jesus for another end. To be a disciple means you use whatever, end, whatever, whatever means God has given you for the end of being near Jesus. He's the end. He's the goal. He's the treasure. And if you use Jesus to get any other treasure, you're in the wrong game and you're going to the wrong guy. Because Jesus says, I, the only things I promise to you are, are things... I don't promise you anything that the, that the world says that you need. But I can promise you things that are much deeper. I can promise to give you peace in spite of your circumstances. I can promise to give you humility no matter what rank you're, you get in life. I can promise to give you love in spite of any sin that you commit. I, I promise to give you joy no matter what shortage you experience. I promise to be kind to you no matter how people treat you. I promise that I will put my presence on you and be with you everywhere that you go in spite of any physical difficulty or, or, or even persecution that you might face in my name. In other words, I promise to give you only the things that last for eternity. I only promise to give you real glory that won't fade. I promise that you'll become like me. And if that doesn't sound attractive to you, then you're outside of the kingdom. But if that sounds like the best thing that you could ever have, you're probably inside the borders. But Jesus is clear. The way that you gain these things, the way that you attain them, is by accepting defeat. It's by giving up the the other treasures that you've up until now 
longed for because you've been part of this other kingdom and not part of my kingdom. Because he says, I'm, I'm wandering homeless through the world. I'm, I'm going to be beaten and killed. And I mean, Christians should never be surprised. We should never be surprised when we have to undergo suffering too. Jesus promised it. Why would we be shocked that, that we decrease down the ladder of, of, of what this world says is success by following Jesus? Jesus said, to be part of my kingdom is a descent into glory. That's why he says in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. <laughs> is that anybody's uh, like life verse? You, you like you have that over your your door. You paint it on the wall above your kid's bed. Probably not, but it's it's a it's a truth that we need to hear just as much as Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, isn't it? That if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. That I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Embrace it. Be okay with it. Sever your ties from it. Because the, the kingdom advances through people who deny themselves to take up their crosses and are okay with the scorn of the world. And Jesus is asking you, He's asking you this morning, are you ready for that kind of life? Are you ready for it? Now the second and third man weren't ready. <laughs> They were not ready. And they represent two kinds of unreadiness, if you will. Two, two sorts of reasons that gave them pause from being that kind of ready. Uh, the second man, which is in verses 59 and 16, 60, says, um, he, he, Jesus says to him, follow me, but he replies, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, on the surface, this seems like one of the harshest, coldest things that Jesus ever said. Because it seems like the man is coming to Jesus and saying, look, my father just died, or he's about to die. Please, can I just go and mourn him? Can I be at his bedside? And Jesus goes, uh-uh. Like, that would, how cold do you have to be to deny someone to be at their own father's funeral, Right? But if you look at the broader context, actually, these men were people who came out to hear Jesus' teaching. Jesus attracted a crowd when he came through. And these men would have left their homes in order to encounter Jesus. And Jewish law stated that if if his father was about to die or if he had just died, then the son was required to be at his bedside. He couldn't go out to see Jesus if it were imminent. And so... What's much more likely is that he's saying, look, I I would like to follow you. I want to completely commit to you, but I need to wait until my father dies. I don't know when that's going to happen, but someday it's going to happen, and I can't follow you until he dies. Now, why would he say something like that? Well, maybe his father would disapprove of his son's decision. Maybe the dad just wouldn't like it. 
Maybe he would disown his son. In other words, he's saying, when I am absolutely sure, Jesus, that following you will not alienate me from my father, then I'll be happy to come. But at this moment in time, I care far more about what he thinks than what you think. Maybe that's not it. That's one interpretation, right? Maybe there's another option. And here's, here's another kind of angle at this. Is that the son, if his father really had passed away, was required to bury his father in order to be able to collect on his inheritance. If you're the eldest son, you have to, you're obligated to honor your, your parents. And, and give them the rightful burial that they deserve. And if you don't participate in those things, then it puts your inheritance in question. And so maybe he's saying to Jesus, look, I'll follow you, but I need to get my financial ho- house in order first. I don't have enough saved in the bank. If, if I follow you now, then I won't get what's coming to me. And my real security is in that. Now, the third man is similar, but he says to Jesus, let me say goodbye. I want to follow you, but not yet. Can can I go back and say goodbye to my family? And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, it's sort of this case of like, what will they think of me? Jesus says, no. If you're coming, then come. Because the kingdom doesn't wait for anyone. See, you, you can't have conditional statements on your obedience. Or you haven't really come into my realm. You, you, you can't walk through life going, well, but first, Jesus. Or, if only, Jesus. Because whatever is filling in the blank of that statement is probably what you're really after. And Jesus is going, no, you you have to take all the conditions off and give me your whole life. Some of you are thinking that's incredibly unreasonable. That you're like, I'm not perfect. And Jesus, he's not asking for perfection. Because absolute commitment is not absolute obedience. Everyone is going to fall short. Everyone is full of sin. Everyone has a, a, a... kind of a dualistic heart where you, you, you want the things of God, but you also want the things that, that, that the world promises you. But commitment means that you're at least willing to relinquish the throne of your life. To, to say, I want to take off all the conditions to my allegiance to you. I want to remove all the buts, all the firsts, all the if-onlys. I want to, I want to get those things out of my life because they're a poison to me. See, in both cases, these men are saying, Jesus, I want to make you the central priority in my life. But at this point, there are things that are more important to me than you. My family's opinion of me, my financial security, those are the things that are my real lords. Because those are the things that are giving me significance and security and purpose. I want to follow you, but not at the cost of those things. Not if it costs me my savings account. Not if it costs me my name. 
And Jesus is saying, don't you realize that your pursuits of those things are actually the things that are killing you? It's like you've flown 1,500 miles, but you're still stuck in immigration. You could be part of the kingdom of light, but you're standing on the outside longing for where you came from. See, to be a Christian means that, that Jesus is in the driver's seat. A Christian is not someone, a disciple of Jesus is not someone who gives their allegiance to Jesus only on the weekends, but then lives like they want to live the rest of the time. A disciple is not someone who worships Jesus on Sunday, but then turns around and worships their paycheck and their family's approval Monday through Friday. A Christian is someone who says, not my will, but yours be done in everything. Yours, your opinion is the one that matters. Your, your security is the one that gives true peace. Your love for me is the love that I was designed to receive, and that is the love that I will go after every day of my life. Jesus is saying, make me your king, or else I'm nothing. I can't just be your savior and not your king. And I think so many Christians try to separate the two and go, I've trusted Jesus for my eternity. I'm sorry, if you haven't trusted Jesus for your Monday, then I don't know about the eternity. (laughs) Because you can't make him your savior and not make him your king. He's king and savior both at the same time. There's a, a really famous prayer. Um by someone who became one of the pillars of the church named Augustine. And uh, he has a very famous prayer. He was in a relationship with a, a woman um, that uh, he knew was, uh, was causing him to, to drift away from God. And, and he goes and he, he, um, he attends this lecture by a man named Ambrose of Milano. And, uh, and Ambrose is, is talking about the glory of God and the majesty of God and, and laying everything aside and coming to him and that he'll, he's going to make you new. And, uh, and Augustine records his prayer and says this. He says, O oh Lord, make me good, but not yet. <laughs> I want to be good. I want to be like you. Just don't do it yet. I mean, haven't millions and millions of people prayed that same prayer ever since? I want to follow you, but my family will think this of me. I want to be generous, but in order to do that, it, it decreases what I can spend on this. I want to be good, Lord, but not yet. And Jesus' response to us, if that is our prayer, is let the dead bury the dead. In other words... Let those who are spiritually dead care about what only what dead things can give them. There is, I mean, this Jesus puts such a fine point on it. He goes, "You realize you can't get anything from a corpse, right?" That's what he's saying. That if we look to dead things to give us life, what will result is deadness. And then he he goes on to say, "Let." No one who's put his hand to the plow look backward. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to dig a trench. Like, I've tried to use one of those trenching machines one time. Um, 
and they're, they're supposed to like lock into a position and then you just turn on the thing and it goes, right? But the first time you use it, you're really concerned about whether or not the thing that you just trenched is straight because you're digging up your entire lawn in the process of doing this. So I'm doing this for the first time and I, the thing goes engaged. It's going much faster than I thought it should. <laughs> and it's creating a trench between my legs and the whole time I'm looking back at it and as I'm looking back at it, I'm turning to the right. You can't go in a straight line if you continue to look backwards. And Jesus is saying essentially, once you've said to me, Jesus, you first, you only, you above all, you're the one I want, you're the one I desire, you're my treasure, I want to follow you, I want your will for my life, and absolutely everything. You can't, at that point, continue to look back at the things that you left behind. Because you, you, here's what you're doing, you're looking back at the things that used to be your joy, and used to be your satisfaction, and used to be your meaning, and used to be your purpose, and used to be your salvation. And you look back at those things and your heart becomes cold to the things that are ahead, which is Jesus Himself. And what you end up doing when you look back and you start to re-treasure those things that you once left behind, then what you end up doing is you you reinterpret God's goodness to you through whether or not he's, he's, He's delivered on the things that you left. Isn't that right? So you say, you know, Jesus, I've come to you, but I thought when I came to you, I would also get a good marriage. And you reinterpret God's goodness to you through what you wanted when you came through the door the first time. Rather than saying, Jesus, I'm after you, and I trust that when I follow you, you will give me the desires of my heart. And you will change me from the inside out. Not just my spouse. You'll start with my heart. When I came through the door to you, Jesus, I I thought my financial outlook would become better. I thought I'd get more so I could give more. And Jesus says, no, you start giving more and then I will supply what you need. And what are you doing? You're interpreting His generosity to you by looking backward. And Jesus goes, you'll never plow a straight line like that. You'll never participate in the wonder of what I have for you if you continue to hold on to the things that I'm trying to rescue you from. It's not a bad thing, right, to, to want a good career, and financial security, and a great marriage. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those things. But if you interpret His goodness through whether or not you have those things, you are looking back. And in a sense, you're, you're using the kingdom of God as a means to another end. You're looking to dead things when you should be burying dead things. This is a common problem, right? I mean, this, this was Israel's problem. They had been ransomed from Egypt to be with God. And God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you things that don't wear out. I'm going to provide you my presence. 
I'm going to provide you my leadership and my wisdom and my guidance. I'm going to provide you a land full of all the things that you need. You just have to follow me. You just have to trust me. And they say yes. They put their hand to the plow. They get out into the middle of the wilderness. And then they start complaining about the things that they used to have when they were slaves. When I think of my own discipleship, that is so often the unbelief that's going on in my own heart. When I'm essentially saying to Jesus, I want my slavery back. Jesus said, "I I can release you from slavery. I can give you an entirely new life that's completely unhinged from the things that used to dominate you. But that, this new life that I give you cannot, exi- cannot coexist with the old one. You can't keep looking back. If you do, you're going to be like Lot's wife who turned to stone. Now, you might not turn to stone physically. <laughs> I haven't seen that recently. Um, but your heart sure will. You'll have a heart of stone. You'll be cold to the things of God. You'll be closed off to the things that He wants to do in you and the things that He wants to do through you. Jesus says, No one who loves anything more than me will keep this kind of stonification, (laughs) this sort of spiritual deadness from creeping up all of their life. Let the dead bury the dead. Don't look back. Follow me. I just I want to give you a couple of questions just to think about. We'll, we'll post these on um, on Realm this week so that you can maybe wrestle through these in your own devotion time as we as we look at Scripture together, as we've been doing this year. But um, just a couple of questions as we close. One is. Do you realize the comforts that you may need to give up and the conflicts that may arise from following Jesus? Have you wrestled with those things? Do you realize the comforts you may need to give up or the conflicts that may arise from following Him? And are you okay with stepping into those things? Second, do you understand the job description of being a disciple? and the precedent that that takes over other things in your life. Do you, do you, I'll put it a different way. Do you realize that the reason that you're at your job is not just to make money, but to be a disciple? The reason that you're in the family that you're in is to be a disciple and not just a son or a brother or a sister. The reason that you're in the neighborhood that you're a part of is because Jesus sent you there as an agent of his new kingdom and not just as someone who closes the world off. Do you understand that? Third, have you, con- have you con- counted the cost that following Jesus will have on your other relationships and even on your biological family? Have you counted the cost that saying yes to Jesus may mean saying no to other things? and other people. Um, I'm not from South Jersey. You can tell by my accent. Um, 
here's one of the things that I have observed in my 13 years of being in South Jersey. That a lot of people have really great, large, extended families that do provide a lot of support and care and love and joy, and those are good things. But one of the primary things that I've observed when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus is that they still have no ability to say no to that family when it comes to to saying yes to Jesus. Because to say yes to Jesus means I might have to say no to some family events. Say yes to Jesus might mean I have to say no financially to some things that I would otherwise be a part of within my family. And I can't say no to these people. And Jesus is saying, are you looking back? This is one example, but it's something that I've observed over time. I just want to encourage you and challenge you that Jesus is inviting you to a new kingdom. It doesn't mean discarding those relationships. It just means uh, rearranging your priorities and seeing them through the lens of your new identity and your new citizenship. Have you done that? I, I hope, I hope this comes across as good news. I really do. Because just like for the Israelites, it's true for us. We might think that this is a, a dreary thing to kind of participate in. But life in the wilderness with God is so much better than life in Egypt without him. And we are living in an Egypt that will promise to provide you anything that you want. Family, please know it's a sham. And Jesus can give you so much more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the call to be disciples. It's it's a challenge that sometimes we don't um, grasp the gravity of. It's so easy for us to slip into a Sunday-only Christianity where we we look to you to provide uh, things when, when the world isn't giving them to us, but we don't run to you in every situation even when the world says, I can give it to you better. Jesus, help us to be single-minded. Help our hearts to be completely in. Help us to, to want to desire what you desire most for us, that we would become like you. Give us opportunities this week to live that out and give us awareness when that moment of decision comes that we might choose you and not the alternative. Holy Spirit, would you give us that ability and that discernment? In Jesus' name, amen.